Hi, Maria. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good too. Good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us mankind, with the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things that are well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and to thee we ascribe glory, together with thy Father, who is everlasting, and thy all holy, good, and life giving spirit, now and ever to the ages of ages. Amen. So in my calendar, I wrote one word, and I sometimes do that as a reminder of something I want to do, and the one word I wrote was captivity. Which leads me to believe I had a thought about captivity that we didn't talk about, but I think we did talk about captivity. Did we talk about everybody and their captivity? We didn't. That's why I wrote that word down. So before we go on to the next section, let's go back to chapter 8, 28 to 34. And let's talk about who is captive and why. Are you talking about the demons? Yeah. So if a man that were possessed or captive, okay. the demons were stuck. Yeah. It's kind of that taken captive. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. And who else? The people in the city. Yeah. How are they captive? Two. You get away that easy. <laughs> uh, they're blind to reality. Um, they'd rather be you were afraid, weren't they? Can you all hear them talking? Yes. Good. Wonderful. They were afraid. The they were afraid. In the city were afraid and they wanted Jesus to leave. Okay. So are you captive by your fears? That's a good question. You are. <laughs> <laughs> so they're captive. Now, captivity can be self-captivity. It's not that somebody necessarily holds you captive. Normally, we hold ourselves captive many more times than we're ever held captive by things. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to somebody and trying to encourage them to stay out of debt because debt is a type of captivity, yeah. although it is a self-imposed captivity. We buy things and we say, well, I will borrow the money to have it. So, <clears throat> if you think about it, all of these are self-captives, including the townspeople who look to be the freest. They're not possessed. They're not being sent anywhere. They're not um, having demons thrown into them. They seem like they're free to do whatever they're going to do, and they are free. Only, I think, uh, Kathy and Linda are right, due to their fear or other motivations, they're blind, they, they're seeing things a certain way because of their captivity. 
which he imposed on themselves. <clears throat> now I remember why I wrote the word down. <clears throat> what does this have to say to us? Because this is not just a nice story that we read and go, oh, it was interesting. The scripture is always motivating us to inform us and then change us. So what do we learn about captivity, our own captivity from this section? Well, we can be captive just in our mind, our thoughts, how we think. How so? Let's say you have this persecution complex where you think everybody's against you. Let's say at Ooh. work, <clears throat> wherever. You're, you're held yeah. prisoner in your own mind. Yeah, and who, who is the, um, you're the captive, who's the captor? myself yeah so i i think that's one of the main points that we want to take out of this is as matthew is presenting jesus to us we're going to see him as the freer of captives and ultimately the audience that this book is being written to is us every one of us so the question i think we want to wrestle with is in what captivity do we have in our life and if it's captivity, it's to some degree self-captivity. Self and how would Christ free us from that? Now, nobody has to answer that out loud, but I think it's something for all of us to think about. Because if we miss those kinds of lessons, I think we're missing what the gospel is about. The gospel is not just how Jesus did nice things for other people. It's how he's saving us if we accept the message that he's bringing. Father, Jesus yes. said, Jesus said to bring to him our burdens. So that would help free us. How does that help free us? Well, if I like, you know, um, going by Maria's example, you know, if I had some kind of self persecution complex, if I give it to Jesus, like he says that he will um, carry our burdens for us, then I don't have to worry about that anymore. Does that mean the burden goes away? Mm. I'm not sure. Maria says no. Sometimes maybe it depends. Yeah, it might, right? You pray about it, you take your burden to, to God. Maybe the burden goes away. And by burden, we define the burden as the 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 outward reality, right? The, uh, you know, if I'm sick, it's the sickness I want to go away. If that's my burden, it might go away, it might not go away. We talked about this last night in terms of uh, the healing and, and unction and all that. Um, but if the burden isn't the actual objective reality, but our perception, our self-captivity to that thing, then the question is, is the burden at least available for us to be removed? In other words, if the burden is not the thing that's happening, but our fear of it, our supposed need for it to go away, our um, captivity to whatever it's doing to us, can we be freed of it without being freed of the actual difficulty? Yes. 
Only if you change how you're thinking about it. Change your thinking about it. Charlie, was that you? Yes. No, I said yes. Oh, also, okay. but the trick is to not pick it back up again. Yes. <laughs> so how do you put it down and what might lead you to pick it back up again? Control. So, now, we're, all, we're all controlling people. So you're going to want to take back the control, even if it's for a negative thing. Okay. So if we take it back because we want to be in control of it, but we say, then we realize, wait a minute, I'm actually not in control because what we're learning through Matthew is, well, what did the disciples say um, after Jesus calmed the storm and the waves? Who is this man? Who, who is this guy? That surely, surely he's the son of God. Who is he that what? Even the wind oh. and the waves obey him. Okay. So he's the real one. He's the real one in control. So if we accept that control and we say, well, okay, if he's got the control, I don't, I don't necessarily control the waves, but I can be like Jesus. I can be asleep in the boat. The waves don't make me afraid. I can choose fear. I can be captive to my fear, or I can say, well, Jesus is sleeping. Then I guess I'm okay. I can go to sleep too. So it's always that the captivity is always, if you watch the story unfold, you'll see a lot of people deal with the captivity or the, the seeming captivity of the circumstance in their life, even if that circumstance is Jesus. He's going to become the cause of difficulty for lots of people. And because they choose to not submit to him, they want to hold on to the control. And again, when some of them get to that, that pressure point, they're going to say, well, the only choice is me or him. And so he's got to go. We have to get rid of him. And again, because we know where the story is going, kind of like when you reread an old book and you go, I want to read that book again. You, you learn things because you know where it's going. Then you go back and here we are long before Gethsemane, long before Calvary. We're seeing the choices that everybody has on what are they going to do about this Jesus who's come their way. And this part of the story ends with, and they begged him to leave their neighborhood, which is a good segue for where we're going. All right, chapter 9, verse 1. What does he do? He left. They begged him to leave, and he left. which is a really important, I think, understanding about God, the one thing he will not control is our choices. He might decide to take away an illness. He might decide to help intervene in a situation. But the one thing he will not intervene in is overruling our choices. Even if our choices mean we put him on a cross. That's what we choose. He's not going to even intervene with that and take away our freedom to do that. Any thoughts before we get into chapter nine? I think it's interesting, Father, that kind of look at these in parallel. So the question could be, who understands who Jesus is better? Is it the crowd who tells him to leave, who asks him to leave? Or is it the religious leader who comes and says, you know what, I'll follow you wherever you go? Mm -hmm. um, 
we can kind of we can maybe kind of get down on the <laughs> on the on the folks here who are like please leave they begged him to depart from him i mean saint peter does the same thing mm -hmm. but um um do they have a better understanding of actually who he is because when god shows up in the scriptures it's never a oh hey <laughs> even when an angel shows up it's never a it's never like a roma downey jr moment where it's like oh a very like warm comforting it's like you know what is isaiah says you know uh oh no <laughs> like mm -hmm. when, when god shows up so they they in a sense have this almost like clear picture of who jesus is then the people who are approaching him and going like the scribe and going yeah, it'd be awesome for me to follow you. But hey, teacher, <laughs> you know, God, you're one teacher among many, and I'll just choose to follow you because you're awesome. Where they're like, this is terrifying. Please, please depart. But, yeah, and you're right <laughs> that they us. had the chance to see him that way. Mm -hmm. Do they see him as divine? Do they see him as God? In a... You know what it is? In a... In a, um, I'd say, in a sense, in a sense, in a sense, because they're having that kind of human reaction to encountering holiness. Mm -hmm. But then what happens? Well, then he departs out of in between them. So they see the miracle. Oh yeah. Okay. And so obviously this is somebody who yeah. has power beyond their control. So mm -hmm. hence the fear. You know, their life, their livelihood went down the cliff. Whatever it is. But something happens in between recognizing the obvious uh, yeah. interference. It's not Something's interference. going on here. Appearance. Yeah. There's an appearance of God here. Mm -hmm. And then something happens, and then they ask him to leave. Now, you don't see it necessarily in the text, but again, the text, we're, we're in the text. And this is our story. And told everything. What do we have to do? What do we have to say to ourselves if to nobody else? In between seeing the power, seeing the obvious appearance of God, and then saying, please go. So you feel the fear. Yeah. Then what? I'm going to retreat back into my old habits. Oh. <laughs> but didn't he by seeing by giving them a glimpse of who he was even though they they got scared and asked him to leave couldn't he just like planted the seeds in their hearts their minds that maybe the next time they would realize yeah this is god that's possible we don't know would he plant a seed against their will? No, whatever seeds are planted, it's that they've allowed by what they've seen that they accept. Yeah, and he's he's not going to force them to, but mm -hmm. I mean they're wondering, and maybe just by leaving with just a little bit, he's still kind of whispering to them. If it's with their knowledge and will, yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't trick them, he wouldn't hide it and hope yeah. that um because that that goes against the whole story the whole story is they have they have freedom to choose now they might choose something different later we don't know 
but we have this story to deal with. And something happened between the time they saw a divine action and then asking God to leave. Would anybody in their right mind ask God to leave? No. Well, so I what do you have to do before you do that? I mean, you get, you get that quite a bit throughout Scripture. You know, God should, and, and it, like, because because the appearance of God in any kind of in whatever way is a deeply um, because of humanity's state is like is a deeply. I mean, unsettling is is not a strong mm -hmm. enough word. Yep. So you do have these kind of in the prophets and, and everything else. I mean, ultimately, and and ultimately, God often withdraws himself from his, out of his mercy, mm -hmm. you know, like at the Tower of Babel. I'm actually going to become distance out of my mercy <laughs> for the, the for the peoples of the earth. So you do you do have that that dynamic running through. You know, Moses says, "No, no, no, no. choose somebody else." Like you know, um, all these. So and, and, but and even that's a good example. Moses had a choice of saying choose someone else or leaving and not doing it, yeah. like Jonah does. Yeah, Jonah says, "I'm not going." Yeah. So what does Jonah do? What are these people doing in order to, in their right mind, ask God to go away? I would suggest that to some, in some way, they're not going to ask God to leave. They are not going to ask God to leave. So something in the equation has to change. They're obviously not wanting to change because what's what's begging the question is we, we're uncomfortable, we're afraid, whatever. But because if it's God, they can't ask him to leave. So what do they have to do in their mind? They, they've got to change that equation. So they want to change him? In their own mind. They have to change him. They have to make him somebody different than what they just saw in order to make sense out of asking him to leave. Now that might sound crazy. We all do it. There's nothing we do where God gives us an opportunity that we don't take that doesn't involve some measure of changing our perception of God. Because we don't change ourselves. If we change ourselves, we don't ask him to leave. We go, here's God. He's wonderful, he's merciful, and I fall at his feet, but I'm not asking him to change because he's God. I will change. So that's what I'm saying. What something has to change. The person who's encountered God and is uncomfortable, they will change, or in their mind, they will change him. There's no other way around it. There's no way that they maintain who they are, their knowledge of it, their knowledge that it's him. And ask him to leave. You can't put all those together. They don't fit. So when, so you're saying when St. Peter says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, he is denying the divinity of Christ. To some degree. Or, because if he sees Christ for who he is, mm -hmm. he falls at his feet and he begs for mercy. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't ask God to leave. Now, it was an act of, of humility to fall and, and, and recognize the simplest. So it's not like an all or nothing. Mm -hmm. But 
asking God to leave is never a good thing. Well, it seems to be that, that the prophets and like St. Peter there are not so much making a statement about who God is in that moment. They're making statements about who they are. Yes. So it's not, uh, so, so I, I, I would understand that it's not going, it's not calling to question Christ's divinity when St. Peter says that. It's calling into question. Peter is saying, here, I'm making a statement about myself, not about you. Yes. Yes. So in that one, it sounds like he's asking God to leave, but he's really not completely. I mean, he's kind of splitting the difference where he's saying, mm -hmm. I'm the sinful man. I don't deserve your presence. Mm -hmm. Here, these people are, for whatever reason, they're not repenting. They're not saying we're not worthy of you. Please go. They're not being able to control what happened. And they're saying, please leave. But, but the point I want to, to, us to understand is, we, we live in a world where we say, if God would only do this, then I would do this. If God does this, I'll have faith. If God does this, I'll do this. If God does this, I'll stop worrying. Matthew's not going to let us get away with that. He's going to say to us, Christ has done everything he's done through the sending of the Holy Spirit, which we're not going to hear in Matthew so much as later on in Acts, but Christ has done it. Everyone who encounters Christ, either they change or they change their mind on what they could have seen in him. But you can't hold all those together where I know who I really am. And I know who Christ is. And I'm good with that. It's what something's going to have to change. Something has to give. It's too easy for us to assume that. Um, well, just say it, it's hard for us to realize we're the ones that have to change. That's the last thing we want to accept. We want God to be something different. We wouldn't say it that way. So what we typically say is we don't look at him as being involved. If we look at him as involved, then we have to change, which that's the last thing we want to do. But that's it's what repentance is about. It's why we're going into Lent. It's, it's saying to us, stop expecting God to change, and you change. That's the way forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, Father. And when when uh, we bring our uh, burden or unburden ourselves, as Christ said, um, come to you, come to me who are heavy laden and take up my yoke. Yep. For I am humble and meek. There you so go. That is where we do have to change um, you know, what, we're, what we are and unburden ourselves, but then we substitute that with his yoke, which is humility and meekness. Yeah. It, it really is being open to changing our ideas about God. It's what I was saying in the video, if any of you saw that from yesterday. If we're willing to change our perceptions of God and accept what is a clear, um, he's clearly expressing himself in the Christian story. God clearly expressed himself for those who want to know it is not hard to know who God is. And we're going to see that, especially through Holy Week. That's the most expressive glimpse into the heart of God we're ever going to get, which is why I think Holy Week is such a, a powerful spiritual experience for us, because that's what it's all about. And we, 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 we take the time to really enter into not just how sad the events are, but what this says about the God that we believe in, even after he's risen from the dead and is 
he's no longer bleeding from his wounds and all the rest. Um, I lost my train of thought. Hold on, we'll come back, maybe. Oh, so if we're willing to change, and, and Charlie, you bring up the important point that the God that Jesus portrays to us is meek and lowly. He is not fearful in the sense that the herdsmen think, right? They've seen his power, and because his power tells them, well, power means I'm going to lose something because I won't have the power, he's got to go. Because they're, they're looking at him through their own, the, the lens of their own, what they would do if they had that kind of power. They're not seeing him for who he is. And that's going to be, again, the story through Matthew, and it's, it's our story, is will we see God for who he is? And respond to that God. And if we if we don't do that, we are going to change our perception of him. You know, I, I have a lot of talks with people who say, you know, Father, we got to bring people back to the church. I know they're busy and they're they're, you know, they, they get involved in their lives and their careers. And I'm sorry, I call um <laughs> I, I don't believe that. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't believe it. If, if they were handing out gold bars a hundred miles away and you had a car, you'd go. Okay. This is what we have in the church is you can't even compare the value compared to a bar of gold and people, they say, well, I'm busy. No, that's, that's not why they don't know who God is. If they understood who God was, they'd be here first thing. At sunrise, begging, waiting for the doors to open. So, and that's not just other people, it's us. It's all of us in our, our resistance to see God for who he is. And because we don't want to see him as he is, then we change a story about him. Or we do see how he is, and then we change. You know, Matthew, the gospel of grace, a lot of people assume that, okay, well, because Jesus declares grace, that's the big difference. We talked about this before between the Old and New Testament. It's not that all of a sudden there's like this freebie sale going on where Jesus goes to the cross and because he paid the price, now it's free for us. That's not the message. I mean, we have, we were, we're up into the chapter nine. We haven't heard that message yet, and we're not going to hear it. The message is what was offered to a few is now offered to everybody. We've seen the outsider being brought in one at a time. Here he is in the country of the gatherings. And when he goes home, as we're going to get to in chapter 9, verse 1, when he leaves, he goes home. So it's that offering of this to everyone, and that includes us. I think everyone here, one of us is a Gentile, and so that means he's coming to us, and something's going to have to give. We're going to change, or we're going to change our perspective of him, or we're just going to ask him to go. Even ask him to go means we're changing our perspective of him. All right, anybody else on that before we move on to chapter nine? I just saw that in, in there, St. Jerome makes the same the same point, uh, the comparison with Peter. Uh, That's not out of pride, they ask him to leave, but out of humility. Uh, that, was, that, was, yeah. that was funny. <laughs> See, confirmation. Yeah. Not bad. All right, would somebody read for us chapter nine? Let's do one verses one through eight. All 
Wait, I'll take a turn since nobody Thank wants you. to. <laughs> Thank you. The paralytic restored. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. Okay. So he's back home. He's come back, got in the boat, crossed back over. And I don't think it says how many. I think another one of their accounts it talks about four men. I don't think it says it in this one. This is they. They brought to the paralytic lying on his bed. Do you notice what prompts Jesus to act? He saw their faith. The faith of the friends. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we we've had this. We we sort of get that message. Often at the end of an encounter, your faith has made you well. Now we're seeing it from the beginning where he's, the, the Matthew is telling us, without Jesus saying it, Jesus sees their faith and said to the paralytic. Now, a question I want to ask you is, how does Matthew know that? <laughs> right? Matthew, we could presume, is not a mind reader. Somehow Matthew knows that what prompted Jesus to say what he's about to say was their faith, the friend's faith. I can only I can only assume that Jesus had a conversation with Matthew telling him he noticed the faith of the, the people there. So that's one possibility that Jesus said it to him outright. Yes. I saw their faith and I did this. Right. Okay. What's the other possibility? The Holy Spirit revealed it to Matthew? Possibly. All right, I'm gonna, oh, go ahead. I'm going to be silly. Somebody was taking notes. <laughs> it was the scribes. Yeah. Somehow it was, it became obvious to Matthew. Now we don't know how that was. Was it Jesus telling him? Was it the Holy Spirit inspiring him? Was it something that Matthew knows? because Matthew spends a lot of time with Jesus. We don't know how, and the how actually doesn't matter, right? Would it matter which way of that way he knows? It doesn't really matter. What matters is it is obvious to the storyteller who's telling the story to us that the faith prompts Jesus to act. In other words, according to the author that we're reading, that's something that we can know about Jesus. It is not somebody needing faith, getting the miracle, and then having faith. Somebody with faith gets a miracle, 
And it is because of their faith that Jesus chose them. How does that change our perspective on what faith is? I think that uh, that true true repentance and conversion, you have to recognize Jesus as Lord. Because I think that, like Jesus says, you can only come to the Father through me. Mm -hmm. And I think that when Christians come to that point in their lives where they really recognize Jesus as Lord, I think that's, that's a transformational moment in their lives. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, when we all finally get to the point where we surrender our lives to Christ, I think that's when uh, things change or you can change. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And what leads to that? What precedes somebody surrendering their life? Is it a miracle? Because that's typically our assumption is if I see, as Thomas is going to tell us, if I see, I'll believe. Yeah, I mean, no. yeah. I think, you know, it's, so many things go through my mind about that because, you know, blessed are those who didn't see me and yet believe, you know. Okay, so that's it. You're exactly right. And yeah. what does it take to not see and believe? Faith. Okay. In, think, in, what is that? What is that? How does that faith, what is it? How, what, how do you get to that faith? Your friend brings <laughs> Your friends might bring you, sure. But even if your friends bring you, still, what do you need if it's faith? Change of heart. Yeah. Yeah. That only you can do. Yeah. And that doesn't require anything outside of you. Right. That's the key thing I want you to get here. What is the the final step of faith is the change of heart. It is the decision to trust in, because that's what faith is. Faith is trust. That doesn't require anything to happen first. That comes later, right? Jesus seeing their faith, says the paralytic. So the miracle, the proof, if you want to call it that, the, the motivation is always going to come later. But our expectation is, when we get that, then we'll have faith. So I'm going to keep hammering this over because, you know, we have such a, a wrong definition of faith that's been drilled into us. And so when we're in a difficult spot, we go, God, just show me, just give me this, just da 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 da, da and I'll believe. So it's the strings attached is what you're trying to, um, you know, start without the strings attached. What do you mean by that, Susie? Um, it's like um, a bargain, you know, and and it's like uh, you make a deal, but there's something attached to it. So, Lord, I'll do this if you do that. Yeah, yeah. from who? The bargain from like who? From, do you... us, from us, of course, you know. Well, I think faith faith is from us. Faith says I'm doing this because I decided. False faith says. Okay, Lord, I'm going to bargain with you. And when you do this, I'm going to have faith. 
that I think that false faith is much more common among us than real faith. And so we get disappointed. Like, God, I, I trusted you um, that you were going to do this so that I could believe in you, but you didn't do it. So I'm not going to believe in you. <laughs> Anything that is outside of us that we require to have the faith is going to be some kind of a false faith. It's like you're saying, it's like a bargain. But we don't bargain because, again, Jesus sees their faith, then he acts. So who's in control of our faith? We are. Anybody else? No. Well, I thought that St. Paul uh, said that a faith is a, is a gift from God. Yes. So um, what came first? But just like any gift, Charlie, you got to open it. Okay. Is it a gift if you don't open it? Right. <laughs> you know, Christ. Yes, it's still a gift. gift. What's that? It is still a gift, even if you don't open it. That's your choice. Okay, but is it your gift? You haven't received it. It might be sitting there. You haven't received it to you. Yeah, it is a oh. gift for you, but you haven't, as, as we might say, taken possession. Right. So it's intended for you. Everything's been done for you. And this is where I think Orthodox spirituality differs from a lot of the Protestant traditions. Yes, we believe along with our Protestant brothers and sisters. Yes, God has done everything for us, except the one thing he refuses to do. And that is force us to receive the gift. So again, any expectation that God will do this and that will lead to my faith, I think we've got to keep working to stamp that idea out because he's already done it. <laughs> and what the, what the friends understand um, that others don't that we're going to encounter here is that something caused them to bring their friend to Jesus. Right. That preceded their act. And so again, we're going to see it over and over layered. This idea of faith brings us to God, then God does what God's going to do. Not if I am proven, it's proven to me that I'm going to trust. Um, and it's, and it's interesting because the faith, the, 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 the personal faith of the paralytic isn't mentioned. The, the faith of the people who brought him are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not it's not even like his personal faith. Go, hey, take me there. And Jesus goes, Jesus doesn't say, great is your faith. Right. He said that already. Yeah. He says, seeing their faith, the people who carried him, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. To, to the to the person being carried so yeah. somebody said last night in, in our uh, our class they asked a question does that mean if, if i don't get the answer to prayer or the miracle or whatever that mean i don't have faith not necessarily because again here we don't know what this man's faith was we know what the friend's faith were was but they weren't asking for themselves in other words his faith wasn't necessarily required and the and the miracle they get like who so <laughs> who's the miracle for it's not for the question yes it's not for the man on the pallet it's not yep. for his friends yep because what does he say your sins are forgiven yep what actually causes the miracle the the the, the healing yeah is the scribes yeah the physical healing yeah right. the right. physical right. healing yeah, the, 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 the healing that the man receives is the forgiveness of sins. And then as a testimony to the scribes, 
He's physically healed. Yes. To show that yes. the forgiveness of sins exactly. was legit. Yep. So it's not so, yeah, to kind of take this and go, well, if you have enough faith, then Jesus is gonna is gonna heal you to walk again. To fulfill the Jewish prophecies that the Messiah would heal the sick, raise the dead, etc. So they knew all this stuff. Yep. You know, they were very learned people. They they knew their uh, Torah very well. Yeah. So when they see this proof positive in front of them, they cannot. They they then they're given the choice: Do you accept the Messiah, or do you not? Right. Yeah. And, and what's what's the true healing? From a human standpoint, like the man is a paralytic, but like Scott was saying, long before he gets healed of his physical ailment, Jesus forgives his sins. And only after their little, you know, conversation with him, does he show that again, it's the, the physical, if the man, if Jesus forgave the sins and the story ended, would that, would we say that man's uh, need was met. Yes. Yes. <laughs> What's that? Ours is the scribes who kind of need to see. Like, I can't see that your sins have been forgiven. Mm -hmm. But, like, I can see, like, wow, like this person who could not walk is now walking. Mm -hmm. So, for our benefit, I guess. Yeah, in some ways, sure. I can't help but think that the friends, you know, say they were familiar enough with the scriptures to know that Jesus brought healing, expected the, the physical healing, and it's for their benefit as well. You're saying that they were expecting that? Uh, they were. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. So they yeah. had to carry them back. <laughs> well, it's interesting they, they might have thought that but clearly like what is christ at least in this episode because in other episodes he just heals people you know we've seen that yeah so in this episode what is so i mean we've just kind of come off all of these stories of like all the enemies of god are showing up and yes yeah. with air quotes you know romans mm -hmm. gentiles sinners tax collectors all these people who are the problem and jesus jesus brings them in and then we have this encounter with the actual real enemy, which are these demons mm -hmm. <laughs> that are that are um, captivating, <laughs> you know, these people. And now we see Jesus continuing to fight against the real enemy. What's his primary? What's his primary target? His primary target are, are not you know foreigners and the ungodly. <laughs> his primary target are the demons that are oppressing. The sin is <laughs> pressing mm -hmm. here. So its primary target is, hey, here's this, here's this guy laying on his mat. Very first thing we got to take care of is this sin thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're right. to free him from his sins. Right. Because, because I mean, here's the thing. If you would have just told him, you know, arise and walk mm -hmm. and left him like that, then, then you to walk around and get old and die one day in his sins. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Versus he forgives him his sins. And even if he has to get carried around on that map for the rest of his life, he will walk 
one day. Yep. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of you know when you're talking about. Yep. So you see Jesus's kind of priorities. Like, look, the healings are great. The healings are a sign point but ultimately the fundamental problems here well like we talked about last night fundamental problems here are sin and death right and the evil powers aligned against god that's the real problems mm -hmm. and so i'm here to deal with that and they're problems because again of our self-captivity to them yeah they're not give real enemies in the sense of yeah. like we're afraid and we don't know if we can combat them yes they're enemies because we can be convinced convinced that they're enemies that's why right. enemies. again we're or a really we, problem <laughs> yeah we we empower we empower them that's why they asked to go into the pigs right because like demons can't do anything without <laughs> without things to like embody or whatever right somebody wants to use the analogy i love it it's like you know you throw a throw a stack of hundred dollar bills on the table like that's paper that has no value and yet people will kill each other over it yep we give it <laughs> value yeah you know we you know they give the demons you give the captivity you give the sin etc cetera, etc cetera, by participating in the power in the same way that we'll murder each other over right you know oil or <laughs> or money yeah so let, let's keep going because there's a lot we're going to see revealed to us here um so he says take heart my son your sins are forgiven and now we're going to start encountering, uh, we already have to some degree, we see the more and more, the scribes and the Pharisees. And watch carefully how the dialogue works and what's happening around the dialogue, because there's a lot we're going to learn about this. Some of the scribes said to, them, said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. They're not opposing him yet, right? They're not getting involved. They're not trying to talk to anybody. Not yet anyway. They said to themselves, this man has left seeing me. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, <laughs> said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, to say, rise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What Scott was saying earlier. This is why we're going to do I want you to know why I have this authority. He said the paralytic, rise, take your bed and go home. So far, we're, we, we don't have... This really is not a, a back and forth with scribe. We'll get that later on. Um, what could the scribes have taken, and may have as far as we know, what could they have taken out of this encounter? What, would this, what was revealed to the scribes in their encounter with Jesus? I guess I'm going to repeat a little bit because I think that, that the story for them was to know who the Messiah is. And, and he clearly saying to them that, you know, what's easier for me to say, rise, rise and walk or your sins are forgiven you. But I have that authority to do both. And so he's clearly saying to them that I am the Messiah. And, and what would they know about his... Uh, who he was based on what he's saying. Well, like I said, that the, their uh, prophecies all said that this this Messiah would heal the sick. Yeah. What else? What else did he just do right in front of them? He read their mind. He told them their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. He's debating with them before they've opened their mouths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
did they ignore that? We don't know. So in this, this doesn't go on in terms of a back and forth. We'll see a back and forth later on. Um, maybe this is Matthew's way of, of easing in, you know, the, the sort of intransigence of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right now, we're seeing that Jesus, obviously, because he is who he is, yes, he can forgive sins, yes, he can heal paralytics, and yes, he can know their thoughts. So you would expect, if the story went on in this encounter, them to go, oh, here's the Messiah. Well, yeah. I have a question on yeah. that. I mean, the, I, I were the, the, was the understanding of the, uh, the scribes that the Messiah was also going to be the Son of God? Not necessarily, no. But something in this man, Jesus, was different than anything else they'd ever encountered. So yeah, I think you're right. It's not it's not as if okay, we don't this is not the one prophesied. I mean, had they studied deeply, I think, yeah, they would have drawn the, you know, connected the dots. But one of two things is possible, right? If you're a scribe and you encounter what you've just seen, what are your two options about who this Jesus is? What are the possibilities? The options are you either believe that he is God or the son of God, or you don't. Well, but you've seen him do some pretty amazing things, including reading your mind. Yeah. But so, even still, I mean, the Jews are looking for a warrior. Yeah, but let's look in particular here. This guy just read their mind. They just saw him forgive sins or pronounce forgiveness. Um, and then they see him heal a man who they knew was a paralytic and then he rises and goes home and the crowds the uneducated crowds saw enough that they glorify god would given such authority to men so it's clear to them that this man is different the crowds conclude that somehow god is connected to this right whether he is god or he's sent by god or he's empowered by god that's one possibility what's the other possibility that they might have concluded He's of the devil. He's of the devil. All right. There is something supernatural, above natural, more than natural going on here, which is why later on, that's what they're going to accuse him of. And he's going to argue with them with just some basic logic, like, you know, uh, what are you kidding me? Like, if I was of the devil, why would it? We'll get there. Um, but what I want you to see is it was obvious enough, even for crowds, yes, they were afraid. But they glorified God. So compare that to the end of chapter eight when they were afraid and said, please leave. These crowds, they're afraid. They've seen a miracle just as, as powerful as, as the herdsmen saw. But their reaction was to glorify God. And what are they glorifying God for? That God is powerful? Well, I think that I may that's yeah the son of man. it's it's seeing the power given to a human being right because jesus said that you may know the son of man has authority so when they glorify god it's the fact that god has given authority to men to one of their own mm -hmm. and that's what's going to be either the cause for glorification and worship and adoration 
or a refusal and confusion and therefore condemnation. They're going to have to get rid of them. One of those two things are going to have to happen. They're going to bow down before him or they're going to have to get rid of him. I see the people too that are that are there. Uh, the scribes are in this scene. So their religious leaders are amongst them this time. They're not just yeah. alone with Jesus. So yeah. they see this miracle with their religious leaders standing right over there. And their religious leaders aren't saying anything. And Christ is sort of dressing them down a little bit. So they see the power. And they 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 see that that this, this man, this God man, is doing something amazing. And their religious leaders aren't refuting it. They're, they're refuting it in their own minds, but they're not refuting it. And right. they can't they can't come up against Christ. So it's sort of proof positive to them that this man is over and above their current religious leaders. Yeah, maybe. We don't we don't know. We just know that they saw enough. Right. That they were both afraid and able to glorify God. Right. And we're going to see later on the scribes, their their role is going to get much more obvious was as Matthew unfolds the story for us. Um, that at least the ones we're going to hear about. They don't, that's not the route they're going to take. They they are afraid, and they don't glorify God. They're going to pick that other route. And by the way, that's again going back to our discussion before we, as we began this morning. Those are the two choices we have. When you encounter God, you're either going to glorify Him, or you're going to do something else about Him, even in only your own mind. Because when you recognize God, what do you do? You glorify him. Even if you're afraid, you glorify him. If you recognize him for who he is, that's what, it's just the natural thing we do. You don't have to. You're not forced to. It's the natural response. You're either going to do that or either from that fear or from whatever you're experiencing, you're going to change him somehow. And we'll see how the story is going to unfold that they're, they're trying to change him. We'll be just with the, the herdsmen. Please leave. Only they're going to they're gonna make it happen. Or to think they are going to make it happen. Well, Father, there are two different crowds. So that, you know, that can explain as well. You know, the crowds in the, the Gerasenes are Gentiles. The crowd here is Jews. Mm -hmm. or Jews. So they're, they're prepped <laughs> to glorify God and to go, okay, there are people who actually kind of do this. But I, I, I kind of wonder too, like kind of looking at both in comparison, you know, both these, both these stories are about judgment in some sense, right? So Jesus, well, Jesus judges the, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what the demons say to him. Uh, what have we to do with you? Have you come here to torment us okay. before the time? Right. So like, Hey, we've still got a while before the judgment. We know who you are, but like, this is premature <laughs> when the demon is saying, so this is a moment of judgment. And then what happens? Jesus allows them to go in the pigs and then they go off into the abyss. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, they're gone. Right. They're gone now. They have gone now into the abyss, you know, a few thousand years early, <laughs> you know. And then this is judgment in the sense that Jesus now says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Mm. On the one hand, you see this judgment that leads to destruction and the crowds go, oh my gosh, please leave. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you see judgment leading to restoration and, and action and then 
physical healing mm -hmm. and the crowd to marvel and bring glory to God. So is there kind of something there and you're seeing a kind of reaction in the crowd as these kind of dual faces of judgment mm -hmm. as the son of man comes to judge the earth, which is the authority of the son of man. On the one hand to destruction, <gasps> anxiety, <laughs> please depart. This is, this is terrifying. Yeah. And on the other hand, forgiveness and healing and restoration and, and new creation. Glory to God in the highest, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, yeah. And even, even to add to that, when they say to themselves, this man is blaspheming, they haven't accused him, they haven't said to the crowd. Yeah. It's, it's among either, either among them or within them. Jesus's question to them is not, why are you thinking that? Mm -hmm. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Mm -hmm. Which gets to the point of when we encounter God, it's it's we're not just going to be guilty of a misunderstanding. Okay, a lack of, of acceptance of God is not two plus two equals five. It's why in the church heresy was always treated as one of the worst things, if not the worst thing you could do, because you are taking what could have been an encounter with God leading to union with him and glorification and all the wonderful things that God invites us to and a rejection that is going to lead to a separation. That's what evil, evil, when you think evil, don't think wrong, think separation. Okay. The diabolo is the one who cuts between. So why do you think evil? You, you could have seen the union. I just restored this man to his union with God. His sins were forgiven. But you're thinking evil in your hearts. Don't, don't miss that out. Again, Matthew's all about the heart. Why do you think evil in your hearts? He doesn't give them any credit for not saying it out loud. <laughs> Why do you think evil in your hearts? And that's when he goes on to, to show them why he has that authority, why he's not blaspheming. What's the only reason he could not be guilty of blaspheming? crazy yeah well, i guess i guess if, if you yeah. accept an insanity guilt but uh, what's guilt by what's the word is <laughs> uh, what's the not guilty by reason of insanity yes okay if you have that in your legal system yes they didn't have that. assuming they don't have that because they didn't really know what it said it was yet it's not um, if it's true like it's not blasphemy if he actually has the authority to forgive sins, then it's not blasphemy. And, and all right, and what would give him the authority to forgive sins? That he's God. That God, either he is God or God gave him that authority. This man is either God or from God. It's not a matter of, oh, I mean, if he's blaspheming, it's because he's either not God or not from God. So again, it's not about getting it wrong. Oh, we didn't understand who you were. All right, we're going to see later on in Matthew. Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty? Oh, we just didn't recognize you. It's not a mistake. It's not a, oh, I didn't get it. I was, it's, it was, I wasn't looking clearly, which is on me. It's not like, oh, that would have been so hard to get. It's so easy to get them. The crowds are getting it. Matthew is, is really going to pin uh, hard on the scribes later on, but he's starting now by saying, and the crowd saw and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. They get it. The uneducated, the unlearned, the illiterate, they get it. It's the ones who have a, a self-developed power that is their problem. It's all the Bible people. They don't get it. 
<laughs> the models of this, exactly. This well, man like, father. up and it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, who is this man that you see the son of man and give glory to God for giving such authority to men? Yes. Yeah. I get fascinating. What was that? Well, what I was going to say is those are the people that um, that could lose something. They could lose their status or whatever power they might have. You know, I mean, here we have someone else who thinks that uh, he's better than what we've already got going on. So, yeah. I mean, they're going to, you know, it's jealousy. Right, correct. Yeah, and, and so because it's jealousy, again, it's it's a choice. It's a choice based on what you want to do with what you've just seen. It's not getting it's not being it's not being mistaken, if that makes sense. Because I think a lot of times we say, well, you know, I just I didn't catch it or I, I made a mistake. No, it's it's a willful choice to see it the way it was presented. Or again, to go back to the same point earlier, changing it in our minds to justify our action or our inaction. Father? We have no one to blame but ourselves. Yes. Um, it just reminds me that um, our flesh is just the same from the beginning. We don't desire his will. It's, you know, Christ came not to do his will but the will of the father and it seems like every time we're uh, coming up against these different examples it's um it it goes back to that not my will but thine be done yes yes and what does it take to do god's will what's required of us what would we need to be able to do it a willing heart to let go of our own will and to say and to say i want to choose your will over mine yeah and so it, it, in one way you could say is like you said it, it's to let go of my will um another way to say it is to use your will which you can't give up right god is not going to allow us to lose our will he allows us to use our will to choose his will so that thy will be done doesn't say, okay, God, make me do this. I'm giving you the chance to control me. That's what the demons do. Those two men became possessed because they said, come and control me. I don't want the responsibility. I want to be controlled. God is never going to let us have that happen to us on his side. He's not going to possess us. He's going to allow us to use our freedom to choose him. And it's always going to be whether we chose that or not, but it's never going to be like, well, again, it's, it's never an external reality that either says, well, I did it or I didn't do it. You know, times were tough or it was hard. That, those will be our excuses. And we'll see how Matthew deals with excuses later on in parables. But it's, uh, it's always going to be up to us to use the freedom that can't be taken away. Therefore, our judgment is always going to be about what we did not what happened to us just like for the scribes they're being judged in the sense of he, jesus is calling what they're doing evil because they had the freedom to see what was obvious to the crowds only at least at this point they're not seeing it all right 
Well, thank you, everyone. We are not together next week. I'm going to be away celebrating a wedding for a, a young man in Florida. And then but I think we are back a week later. Yes, on the 10th. So not on the 3rd, but back on the 10th. Thank you, Father. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, thank you Father. Have a good day. Thanks, Father Michael. Bye. Bye.